Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 14th of July. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. It's the end of another week for RTE in the dock. Grant Thornton has now validated the published figures for the highest earners going back to 2010. As you know, Grant Thornton's also investigating the understating of Ryan Tuberty's earnings from 2017 to 2019, along with a separate review relating to Toy Show the Musical. As you're aware, the Minister has also appointed a forensic accountant to examine relevant accounts as they determine. I've instructed all divisions that they are to give the fullest cooperation possible with these investigations and with any committee queries. It is of the utmost importance that RTE works to create as much clarity as possible to the sequence of decisions and actions and by whom they were authorised and or enacted. That's uh, the new RTE boss, Kevin Backer, speaking yesterday at another Oireachtas Committee hearing into payments at the National Broadcaster. The new DG says that irrespective of the investigations that are now underway, there are a number of things that are already beyond dispute. RTE should not be brokering or facilitating commercial arrangements with its contractors. The level of fees in contracts of this nature are too high. We should have cooperated with greater transparency and should have applied much higher standards of honesty and integrity in terms of of our public statements. The public were misled, as were you as public representatives. That's completely unacceptable. I want to assure you that lessons have already been learned and actions are already being taken. The Director-General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst. Let's speak to Paul Allen now. Paul will be known to many listeners uh, to this programme. We've spoken many times about the Irish for Biden campaign, but he's also a PR professional. He worked for RTE for some 15 years from TV sound to continuity announcing and in the newsroom there as a journalist. Good morning to you, Paul, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Obviously, as somebody who worked for RTE, You've an insider's uh, view on all of this, but as a public relations professional, what have you made of the last three weeks? Oh God, Mike, good morning and happy Friday to you. Uh, It's hard to stay focused. It's hard to keep going with this. They say a week is a long time in politics. This has gone on for three solid weeks. And if I may declare my interest, as you said, I've worked in RT for 15 years as man and boy. 
Um, we've been asked by two parties at one point to get involved. I said no, thank you very much twice. Um, I'd like to obviously stress the comments I'm going to make are my opinion, and I'd like to make my opinion known in that sense. So um, if I may bring you to the headlines um, as a newsroom, mm. here are the news headlines. Uh, Tuberty pay blocked by RTE bosses screams the front page of the Daily Mail when Ryan Tuberty's pay has been suspended by RTE as the former Late Late Show host's future at the National Broadcaster continues to hang in the balance. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting because the scenario is um, if you listen to what's going on, everybody has been following instructions. Um, and the, the situation is that they followed instructions. But what does the listener think? Like a, Ireland's favourite broadcaster, much like broadcaster, Ryan went, said that he wants to pay back the €150,000 mm. uh, for the work he has not done to a car company he does not know. That's Renault. Uh, he does not know why they were paying him. Um, and that it was billed through a consultancy service. Now, I run a PR firm. Our bills are, we send out bills for consultancy services. He is a broadcaster. He sent a bill out for a consultancy service he does not do with no name on the invoice. You need a name on the invoice mm. because yeah, who's going to pay it? The name needs to be on the invoice to a UK company he'd never heard of. And it was sent by his agent's other company. Now, uh, his agent said that it was zero VAT on the invoice. Now, um, I've been 30 years in business, and um, I'm, I wasn't very good on finance and money over the years. I had, obviously, great people behind me to help me with that. But even I know that you can't invoice uh, for work done in Ireland to the UK. Um, so there's a VAT liability outstanding. So to the people involved, I wish mm. you the best to look with the revenue trying to explain that one. Okay, but it's but again, all right. It's all right, because as you say, they were under instruction. This is Noel Kelly and Ryan Tuberty who said the only uh, reason they acted the way they did is because RTE told them to act that way. And I said yesterday on this programme that uh, either the two were bluffing or they're stupid. And I don't believe that they are stupid because Ryan Tuberty was asking us to believe that he knows nothing about his bank accounts and his income stream as a very wealthy, highly paid man, uh, <laughs> indecently paid man. Um, well, it's hard. It's hard that, it's, uh, sorry, it's just, it's just very hard to believe that that would be true. He knows nothing about his money. Ask the agent. The agent says, oh, uh, I'm in business all these years. I only do what RTE tell me. Sure, but uh, you have to abide by the laws of the land uh, and the revenue commissioners. And, and in his exchange the other day, Ryan said the salary is enormous, but it doesn't affect his soul. And I don't know whether people watch Succession, but one character there is Kendall Roy. He'd certainly be uh, enjoying a line like that in the next series if they make another series of Succession. But, you know, this is something that uh, a wise man once said to me, if you make a phone call, will you gain from that phone call during a difficult time or will you lose? I certainly think, looking back, uh, the two guys who very kindly volunteered to go in uh, have got themselves somewhat in a pickle now. Um, and I would be strongly recommending you maybe get a small uh, school hall uh, and get all the parties in, uh, bring them in early, uh, and they can have glasses of water and then lock the door and get them knock on the door when they've come out with, with some scenario because one is saying black, the other is saying white. Mm. And one of the parliamentarians is, is ter has been terrific, Alan Kelly, where he said um, to, to, to uh, the new director general, who's only hours in the job, um, does he accept Mr. Tuberty's evidence that there were seven mistruths? And mm. the new DG, Kevin Backer, said no. 
he doesn't accept this. Yeah, this was so, at the Public Accounts Committee hearing yesterday. Yesterday. And, uh, and also... Uh, and he Minister, also said he doesn't believe uh, that he, he took a 20% pay cut. We may have stopped short of saying that, but he, he said uh, that he took a significant pay cut. He said he didn't have his calculator with him to work out if it was 20%. Out. But I think we're all reading between the lines saying, no, not at all. Sure, not with all of that money he was getting through this side deal. But we're getting committee fatigue. And just there yesterday, uh, the Deputy uh, Director General, uh, Adrian Lynch, uh, a fine guy who's involved in production companies and has a huge history in, in broadcasting. But he's there and he got a text from a lady who couldn't make it, Brida O'Keefe. Mm. She was too busy to attend another committee meeting. I kind of know how she feels because we have to watch this kind of stuff and it's really, really heavy going. But a bizarre thing happened. She texts them. Uh, and then the other parliamentarians uh, went bananas uh, as to why this is happening, what's going on. Yeah. So it's, 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 I don't know how long it's going to run. I know the politicians now, they made a bit of a feast of it yesterday because they're all on their holidays for two and a half months. If only we could take a break from this, but we'd hopefully have a chance. But it, this is a story that's going to run and run. But one thing that happened, and the listener might be interested in this one. Um, Mike, I know you have a bit of time at weekends. If you drove me from Dublin to Drogheda, and brought me back. How much would you charge me? Oh, 848 euro. <laughs> no, 847. There was a so transport your bill okay. to attend a Renault promotion. Yes. Mm. The services to drop Yeah, we, 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 we looked into that as well yesterday. Uh, we found a, a company that would rent a luxury saloon car with a driver who would stay on site. Uh, the car would come with refreshments and Wi-Fi uh, for 75 euro an hour. And some Pringles crisps, I hope. Oh, I hope so. But, you know. I, I would have to sit in the back. I'd probably have to yeah. talk to him for the journey. And, uh, and I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think you'd find somebody who would do it for 100 euro or 200 euro to drive your car. Um, I think that would be easy enough. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't think you'd pay that in a, a taxi, of course. Uh, but fair enough, Ryan Turbidy is a, a celebrity and doesn't want to be in taxis. I'm sure that's fair enough. Or doesn't want to drive his own car when he's working or whatever it is. Maybe we wanted to have a drink <laughs> because they spent an awful lot of money on, on um, the event in Drogheda as well. No, it's, it's a shock and pity, but uh, certainly the politicians yesterday uh, certainly attacked the new director general who's only in the place a few hours since Monday. I thought it was certainly poor, uh, and there's no point shouting and, and, and performing for the, for the camera because obviously they're trying to come up with their smart soundbite to get on the 6 and 9 o'clock news and have us talk about it. But uh, like it, it's a critical issue. We need mm. public service broadcasting. The country needs broadcasting. At the license itself, we worked and, and lobbied with independent radio stations in the past where the, the, the license needs to be shared with public service broadcasting. Like the work that you do on LMFM and the station does with death notices beforehand, how ingrained you are in the community. Like putting on soaps that you've seen on other channels and just... You know, boring programs is not what public service broadcasting is doing. When is the last time RTE did drama apart from Fair City? Uh, they did it. They obviously are farming work out with Ken and other programs. Mm. They're really, really good. They're world class. But let's mm. have more of that. But well, well, they don't do that though. But our RTE doesn't do that. They buy it. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you, if Virgin won the bidding war for it, if they had as much money as RTE, you'd be watching it on Virgin. Correct. Correct. And one of the guys who left RTE, went into Virgin. He set up one or two, three stations uh, in a period of, of, of a couple of weeks. Because and nowadays, there's not enough content for the channels that are out there, and we are glued to great programmes. And why does Virgin not have as much money as RTE? Well, there is a, a very good reason for that, which is uh, this way that uh, they uh, wine and dine 
uh, the agents in the advertising agencies, not the companies who are advertising, uh, but the fellas who bring the advertising to RTE. And the deal is that you bring more advertising to us than you would have otherwise. Uh, And in return for that, we bring you to Tokyo or to see Bruce Springsteen or whatever You too. Yep. You too. Right from Tom yep. and a yep. bus to Crow Park. You yep. forgot about that one. Yep. <laughs> but, the, but the scenario is, um, that's what happens in the world uh, out there. Um, well-known newspapers bringing me and a pal to a concert tomorrow, but they can do that because they're in the private sector. RTE are using taxpayers' money, but unfortunately, that is very forgotten. Uh, and, and, and the future of broadcasting, like with RTE, they should certainly sell 2FM, Lyric FM should be sold. It's very successful. Sell it. Um, they should move from, from Donnybrook, they should possibly go to Fingal, they should go to County Loud or Mead um, and just sell the campus and mm. move it because there was always that Dublin 4 mindset that does yeah. not reflect the opinion of the country. Somebody said to me, uh, who works in this business, the other day, if RTE is losing money hand over fists through Lyric FM, why don't they get somebody from local radio to go down and run Lyric FM? Because they turn it Correct. around in no time at all. Correct. Correct, correct, absolutely. And they're also selling the radio stations that are there. Mm. Um, But they should sell those assets, tighten it up, do what public service broadcasting, do what they set up to do 100 years ago Mm. uh, and give give value to the people. We need to pay our TV license. We need public service broadcasting, but we don't need an echo chamber for the government. And in terms of the government... Mm. These guys are loving this. This is great. Mm. What about hospitals? What about homes? What about the critical issues like the economy, mm. uh, the, uh, the energy costs that people are being pushed for? They're the things that we need to be talking about as opposed to this circus that's going to run and run and run. Mm. Yeah, uh, but with good reason because it is public money and uh, the media, as the politicians have been saying, is so important, particularly in this age of false information and false fake news and whatever. Uh, can I ask you, uh, Paul, uh, something? Uh, as somebody who's been around RTA, you worked there for 15 years uh, yeah. and you were in oh, every boy. corridor of the building uh, by the sounds of it. Great uh, fun. You, you know when there's music programmes? Yeah. Uh, and they have producers? Yeah. I does, can never figure that out. What does the producer do? <laughs> They pick the records and the broadcaster is sent in. I don't know if they pick the records. Do they? I mean, why, why are the DJs there if uh, somebody's picking the records for them? Yeah, well, they normally have to pick the records from the, uh, the gramophone library. Uh, <laughs> so the records <laughs> come from the gramophone library. Yeah, and there's probably a, there's a producer and a sound engineer and this, Correct. that, and the other, and whatever. Uh, I, I mean... Correct. This there's three options. There's also a broadcasting assistant. Uh, in case the broadcaster would like maybe a, a coffee, maybe another uh, cream bun or something. But it's, it's done like that. And then it's after that, the program, yeah. there's a post-mortem uh, as to why did you plug Drogheda uh, playing against UCD tonight? You know, you should talk about Dublin and Derry and other players. We're yeah. going to talk about bits and pieces. So all that melee goes on. Uh, and and um, you don't really, you can't really make eye contact with the producer because they're a very senior official within the okay. broadcasting world mm-hmm. of Donnybrook. I take it that's so facetious, tip, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you tip your cap as you go in. Right. Top of the morning and all that kind of stuff and just go in and play the tunes. But they will select the tunes yeah. because they also have to do the copyright yeah. and, and like 
Well, I, 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 Spotify. I, I, yeah. Spotify does that very beautifully. I, I never knew uh, music radio was as complicated as that. Uh, and I actually don't believe uh, that it has to be. I think one person could easily run any music programme. But then again, this is RTE, who knows better uh, about what is very complicated. Broadcasting is, is something that they're expert in. That's probably why they rejected Father Ted. And, and scraps, scraps Saturday and, yeah. and Bull yeah. Island. Mm. Uh, they broke Robert Dermot, Hart, Dermot Morgan's heart over the mm. years. He was a great friend of mine. But you know, it, it, it's a shocking state. But we, you know, we need broadcasting. We need RTE. It needs to be sorted out. Mm. And I believe the man to do it is the new man, Kevin Backhurst. Did, did you think yesterday? He, he t- took no messing. Yep. Straight answers before the question. You didn't have to think. Boom! Out. This is the answer. Yeah. Do you think he's sacked Ryan Tuberty? Effectively sacked him. Well, if I can answer another way, uh, I've always said to Ryan, and he shares the same love I would have for President John F. Kennedy, and we're, we're good pals over the years, and I was just thinking, you're wasting your time in, in Donnybrook. You should be in the U.S. You're a superb, excellent broadcaster. You'd work very well on late-night programs in America. You'd work very well in the U.K. You're a fine broadcaster. Like You need to graduate and move into other areas, but like it's the comfort zone. You're happy in RTE, sure, but the, the bigger, brighter lights in the U.S., and you've seen how many great Irish broadcasters have gone internationally. Uh, a pal and hero was Terry Wogan, mm. uh, who, who captured the hearts and minds of the British people over the years. And, and, you know, Ryan, go, you know, enjoy your dream, make it happen. You're 50, you're a young man, you can make this happen. Put all this behind you, draw a line. I take it, though, the, re- the reason that you're saying that is that you don't believe that he'll be back in RTE. Well, I just think if you talk to the staff, uh, I think the staff are very wound up. Mm. Uh, and I just think it's going to be very difficult for, for him to return uh, to the, the leafy compound of, of Donnybrook. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I wish him well. At the end of the day, if I may just talk about mental health, we're all human beings here at the moment. Um, and the, 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 the attack himself and Noel Kelly got for six and a half hours in RTE, bang, 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 bang. The scrutiny, uh, the stuff that the media have been going on, I'm sure they're rooting through their bins and doing other bits and pieces, and the Sunday papers will, will have another field day on it. It's tough going. We're all human beings, um, and we're all entitled to a break. But right now, the crosshairs of the target are right on top of him and Noel Kelly. And um, the next step is probably going to be the high court in, in relation to rowing between RTE and his agent and fees and stuff like that. Draw a line in the sand, move on. This is not well for somebody's mental health. Mm. You, you felt that on occasion uh, the politicians were unfair on Tuberty and Kelly. At other times, uh, I think you'd argue that the politicians were starstruck. Uh, yes, I would. Uh, and certainly uh, Ryan had came in um, like a bolt out of the lightning. Uh, he came along and talked about his relationship with the children of Ireland is important to me. Uh, I want them to be happy. Uh, he had some killer lines in relation to that. He talked about uh, he's been publicly cancelled the way I've never been. It's not easy. Uh, I don't know what the politicians knew about that, but then some of the politicians were starstruck and were talking about uh, their like their, their their families and other bits and pieces and the importance of having him in the house on a Friday night. It's very, very important, and people feel betrayed over that. Mm, okay. But let's remember, he, he is now doing one radio programme, sorry, a radio programme per day for one hour, 50 minutes, um, and uh, if RTE decide to tighten up the, the schedule, which is long overdue, uh, you know, that could very easily happen. Mm. But uh, I don't know how Kevin Backhurst is going to be able to reign if he doesn't make tough decisions. 
okay. one of which is selling the RTE campus, uh, moving it to County Louth or Fingal or wherever. Okay. But, uh, you know, Ryan is a, a huge name. He should, uh, you know, go to the US and just get on with things. All right. We'll leave it there for the moment, Paul. Thank you indeed uh, for that insight. Paul Allen is a public relations professional who worked at RTE for 15 years in TV Sound as a continuity announcer and worked in uh, the RTE newsroom for that matter. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, I don't know if there's anything good that can be said about uh, Tara Mines uh, this morning. It's a very dark day. John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser, joins us. And a very good morning, John, and thanks for joining us. Uh, It's been a a long road getting to where we are today, but in many respects, it's the end of that road, isn't it? Well, it's the end of the, I suppose, the current situation that it's no longer... In doubt, care and maintenance has kicked in and uh, it's regrettable and it's a sad day really for all the workers out there and indeed the community. Um, It's not what anybody wanted other than what the company was insisting had to happen. Uh, And uh, we're just going to have to keep the pressure on the company now and on government to um, get it back up into operation as soon as possible. A lot of people were told they could go home around lunchtime yesterday. What's the situation today? Is anybody working in Tara Mines? Well, I would imagine it's just the care and, ta- care and maintenance um, reduced staff that's probably going in and out of the mine today uh, and for the next uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, it looks like as if the company decided, uh, for whatever reasons, to re- to let everybody go yesterday um, without loss of earnings, obviously, for the remainder of their whatever they had to work this week uh, up to tomorrow. Or, oh, sorry, up to today. Um, so that's, um, you know, a decision they made without, you know, letting anybody know that that's what was in their head. All right. It's uh, very hard for people to contend with uh, and I've no doubt that that's the case and that you've heard it uh, from most of the workers. How many have been kept on? Uh, The original proposal was that 40 people would work uh, under that care and maintenance uh, arrangement. Yeah, it would appear that there is probably 60 full-time positions there and if it's... um job sharing that any of the functions uh, decide to take, then that could grow to 100 people um, there or thereabouts. Um, And it's a question of whether they're going to do a day on, day off, week on, week off. It's all about what way the job sharing will happen. Um, 40 full-time jobs, is it? It's 60. uh, We would would 60 full-time. Um, and that is a question of how they divvy it out among themselves. Which is more than the original Blyden proposal, but way below what you felt was necessary or fair. Yeah, look, mm. we we um, we obviously had to compromise. They had to compromise, and 60 is where it seems to be pitched at. It's not absolutely clear that it's, um, that it's 60. It could be some uh, higher, and it could be a little bit lower. So it's not absolutely clear because... Uh, look, the care and maintenance um, manpower side of things has been a very difficult uh, issue to address and um, it's still not perfect for us mm. uh, and we will be absolutely tackling that on every review meeting that we have going forward. 
Mm. What do you think of uh, the outcome of uh, the ballot? It was a, a significant majority that voted in favour, 60%. But 40% against, obviously a lot of your members aren't happy. Absolutely, and I would say there's a lot of people in the 60% aren't happy, but the reality is, uh, what was their choice? This was, uh, you know, a cliff-edge situation. If they didn't take what was there, uh, you know, the the situation would become very, very messy. Uh, And, uh, you know, look, people made their democratic decision, uh, and uh, the result of the ballot is that um, we have 60% in favour, but yes, there'll be 40% that will, uh, you know, be very um, disappointed and completely out of uh, kilter with what we would normally expect, uh, you know, situations like this to happen, you know. Mm. But at least they had their voice, they had their opportunity. And that's what trade union uh, organised employment does. It gives workers an opportunity. If it was an unemployment mine, if it was an ununionised mine, there'd be no voice. There'd be no uh, uh, deal done Mm. and it'd be just turned the tap off. Yeah. And that's what Biden wanted to do, uh, but there will be a retainer paid to the people, the 650 people who have been laid off. Yeah, the retainer is there, and again, it's it's up for discussion uh, at the 12th of October, uh, where all of these issues are up for review, and while the company may very well be looking at trying to remove things, we'd be looking at trying to improve it and build on them. Uh, the longer the indefinite situation goes on, I think the more... Um, more power we have to actually uh, influence a better um, better deal going forward and that's what we will be trying to do. Okay, uh, I see reports that it's €65 Euro a week, is that correct? Yeah, €65 Euros is, the, is the figure that we agreed. Um, it's based on the €50, Euro, 50 Euros that applied in 2001 uh, and you just all you can do is index link it uh, and it's fall short of the actual figure that we were looking for, but uh, it's as much as we could get. Okay, uh, you'll be looking to improve on that in October if uh, the jobs aren't restored uh, soon after. I take it, uh, and that's the big unknown question. But when people do go back to work, it'll be on their existing terms and conditions, and that's uh, factored into this deal. Yeah, and look, as reviews um, are always uh, a case of uh, both sides trying to do their own thing uh, and an agreement will have to be reached. If we can't, we go back through the uh, process of the WRC and we try and do business if we can't do it locally. So I think the company and uh, the representative from IBEC would be well aware that um, we will be looking to improve the package and we take our chances wherever we have to go with it. Okay. Are are you hopeful at all of government intervention uh, that there could be some measures put in place uh, to make it possible for Blyden to reopen the mine? Yeah, look, we've engaged very positively with all parties now at this stage. We were in the Dáil um, on on Wednesday uh, and we met with all the opposition parties. We gave them a submission of the issues that are uh, needed and they need to be pressurising government. Equally, there was two ministers at that um, um, conference that we had with the TDs, uh, and um, it's gone back into all levels of the of, of government, um, and we just have to wait and see how much pressure uh, opposition parties will put on. But we will also be there because uh, we have a commitment from... Um, 
uh, Minister Coveney for further meetings and we will be talking to him very much so about how we can improve uh, and, and, and perhaps get money towards the company to get back into operation. Um, and, and there's other things there, financially support from, you know, for workers while, we're, while they're on layoff as well. That's all receiving very positive soundings. But as I said, I think the last time I was on with you, Michael, uh, they now need to talk the talk. They're all walking it, but they're not talking yet. And we don't see the actions that we would like to see happening. Um, so we keep the pressure on. Okay, John, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, uh, for joining us as always uh, this morning. That's uh, John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser. And uh, it is a dark day for Tara Mines. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, let's listen to Leo Bradker and what the Taoiseach had to say about the closure the day before yesterday. I know it's having a huge impact on Navin and on County Meath. Uh, it's about the hundreds of people who are losing their jobs, seeing a major reduction in their income. Um, and it's also about the wider impact on the payroll that's being lost in Navin uh, and lost in the wider area. Um, there has been a lot of engagement by government. Minister Coveney has been very engaged in this matter. Um, only a few moments ago, uh, Deputy Breed Smith uh, gave Minister Coveney a backhanded compliment by asking that he take an interest in the Iceland dispute to the extent that he took an interest in, in the Tara Mines dispute. Um, uh, I do know that there is a WRC agreement now. Um, and. Um, uh, and, and hopefully that, that, that agreement can, uh, can, can be honoured. Uh, government is going to work with the company to try and get the mine reopened. We'd like to see that open uh, within months, and we are, of course, willing to talk to the company about issues such as royalties and issues such as electricity costs. But what they're saying now very clearly is that with the price of energy being high and the price of zinc being low, uh, the mine just isn't viable. Um, we don't have any proposals to nationalise the mine. Um, to do so, we'd have to pay the owners... Um, I don't know what amount of compensation. Um, that's what happens when you nationalise something. You have to pay the owners uh, compensation for it. It's a compulsory purchase, essentially. Uh, and also it's loss-making. Uh, so we are a country that has spending ceilings. And I wouldn't like to divert money from housing and education and pensions uh, to nationalise uh, um, a mine, which would then lose money. That doesn't make sense from my point of view. Um, in relation to pay-related benefits, um, I'm a supporter of that. Mr. Humphreys is a supporter of it too. Uh, we do want to introduce it. We, we, co- we couldn't just introduce it for one employer or one, or one set of employees. That wouldn't be fair. Um, we should bring in pay-related benefits. Um, there's a dispute about, uh, disputes about it, by the way. I, I think it makes sense. The more you pay in, the more you pay in pure side, the more you should get back out. Other people take a different view. They think that's inequitable. And um, particularly people on the left oppose that concept. I don't. Um, but I hope we can get that done. But uh, it wouldn't be possible to do it for one set of employees. Um, it just wouldn't be fair. Uh, has to be done for everyone because everyone pays PRSI. That's the Taoiseach, Leo Vratker. Michael Reed on LMFM. Michael and thank you for your WhatsApp message. He says, Michael, I appreciated uh, that both Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly came into the Oireachtas committees to try and explain their side of uh, the story, but the charades didn't cut it. If Ryan wants the Irish public to believe he didn't know what an invoice was or what it contained and that he left all of that up to Noel Kelly, well, that borders on madness. Ryan Tuberty touched the hearts and minds of the Irish public and his genuine 
online connection with the children of Ireland is sincere. But, Michael says, he's trying to push his childlike innocence too far and use it now to look as though he hasn't got a clue. He needs to distance himself from Noel Kelly and come clean. He would be welcomed back, uh, Michael believes, but a period of reflection will be necessary before that happens. Uh, Another WhatsApp message from somebody who says he deserves uh, to be put under scrutiny uh, all that he gets because he was quick enough to take the cash thank you indeed uh, for that Um, somebody else then saying the young person who sent in the invoices unable to attend uh, the committee meeting I don't know if it was a young person but this was a junior member of staff that uh, the CFO would name uh, and uh, I think uh, it was um, the um, uh, interim DG, um, Adrian uh, Lynch, Adrian Lynch, uh, said he wouldn't name this person. Uh, but our caller, Sean, says uh, we need to know uh, who she is uh, to complete uh, the story about the false invoice. Why did the C- CFO not ask her and down, then tell the Public Accounts Committee easy as that case closed without naming her, I suppose, uh, is what Sean means. Uh, thank you for that. Um, We'd uh, another text message then from somebody who says stop giving them money uh, that will bring an end to it well thanks indeed if you've been in touch but what about the money what about the 75,000 euro and the 75,000 euro that Ryan Tuberty got 75 and 75 is 150,000 euro that he, he got uh, to do work in Renault uh, or for Renault uh, public appearances he didn't do the work he got the money the big question today and maybe you'd like to answer this is should he give the money back well Ryan Tuberty said he will give the money back that's if RTE ask him for the money back Mr Tuberty and his agent were paid out for services that weren't provided essentially Um, Mr Tuberty has said that if asked he will pay back that €150,000 to RTE. When previously challenged in in terms of why RTE paid out those payments, they said it was based on on, on legal advice. Can I ask now, what is the the, the position um, of RTE? Has RTE asked Mr Tuberty and his agent to repay uh, that €150,000 that that, that was paid out for these notional um, gigs that, that were not uh, provided. So has Mr Tuberty, he has said he will pay that money back if asked. Has he been asked to pay that money back? No, no we haven't. And okay. the reason, Why not? Thank you. Reason, can I explain? Chair? Briefly. Yeah, the reason we haven't is because there was a verbal agreement given to the agent that RTE would, uh, would pay the money if there was no sponsorship in place. And to be clear, that is acknowledged by the agent in Grand Thornton even though I note yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, the agent said if there was no sponsorship agreement, well, it, it, and I, I have the, the quote, no money would be paid. It's completely obvious to me, reading Grant Thornton and the correspondence, that the agent knew RT would be paying. RT should never have paid the two invoices. Mr. Reifers, just briefly, we should have declared very briefly. Just yeah, Deputy, you make a very valid point here. And there's two things here for me. There's a legal agreement, and RT has a, a liability, as Adrian has just explained there. And I think there's then a moral question about what's the right thing to do. And I think when we do come to have you know, any discussions with Mr Tuberty um, going forward, um, I welcomed his offer the other day and we'll wait and see what he does about it.
All right, wait and see what he does about it. Or should RTE actually ask him for the money back? He said, if I'm asked, I'll give it back. Let us know if you wish to. I think I can get your answer, though. Maybe no point in letting us know, because uh, I think we all know how we all feel about that. Andy, in uh, the Czech uh, Republic on the Polish border, uh, in touch with us uh, yesterday, I said I'd uh, come back to his comment today. He says, don't mind that lady who texted in uh, about Peter Fitzpatrick. It sounded like she worked for or something. This was uh, somebody who was very critical of how Peter Fitzpatrick questioned the executives at the media committee. I said I was surprised. I thought he was very respectful and uh, I mentioned how a number of people had been in touch who said that it sounded like some of the RTE executives were talking down to Peter Fitzpatrick. Anyway, back to Andy's comment. Andy says, Fitzer did a good job questioning Tuberty and Kelly and those elitist snobs just acted like a loud accent was beneath them. There's a serious class issue with RTE being 99% full of elitist West Brit South Dub snobs who try their best to not even sound Irish and act like everyone with a, a normal tone of voice is a peasant and beneath them seriously those clowns think they're above the rest of us and dispute our right to question their behaviour and sense of entitlement to public monies Tuberty couldn't stop blowing his own horn regarding charity work and he even pretended he, he never got the extra payments uh, and it was all an accounting oversight. The man's an insincere disgrace and has contempt for anyone below his class questioning him. Same goes for the RTE executives who pretended they couldn't understand Matty McGrath's Tipperary accent. It's like they never leave their mansions or their leafy South Dublin suburbs. Why would anyone defend those chancers? Thank you, Andy, in the Czech Republic for your message. 0419832000 if you want to ring us. Text or WhatsApp 086 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. On Monday, Louth County Councillors will be asked to vote in favour of a motion that's been tabled by Independent Councillor Maeve Yor that uh, will call on the councillors to support all victims of child sexual abuse and condemn the current litigation strategy that has been chosen by the Christian Brother Order as illustrated on the RTE Prime Time programme on the 7th of February. Furthermore, that the council rights to the Christian Brother leadership team condemning that strategy and the council will also be called upon uh, to ask members in the borough district of Drogheda to rescind the freedom of Drogheda bestowed on the former leader, Brother Edmund Garvey. That is the motion that will go before the councillors on Monday of next week. Let's speak about this with Colm O'Gorman, who's a human rights activist and I'm sure very well known to many of our, our listeners uh, right around uh, the country, given that it was Colm uh, who shook the country to its foundations more than 20 years ago uh, with revelations of clerical child sexual uh, abuse in a BBC documentary suing the Pope uh, and then uh, Colin went on to establish the One in Four group as I'm sure you know as well. Good morning Colin and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, you've uh, an interest in this motion uh, and I, I think uh, you want to speak to councillors in County Louth. You know, good, good morning, Michael. Yeah, it's it's a quite an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That um, this long past the emergence of 
all of these scandals, of all of these revelations, where the fact of the cover-up by uh, the institutional leadership of the Roman Catholic Church, including congregations like the Christian Brothers, has been very, very well established. And that we're at a point where victims are having to plead to local councillors and politicians and elected leaders to stand in solidarity with them and to condemn actions um, by religious leaders who are using the law, I think, frankly, in an outrageous and disgusting way, to subvert justice and to prevent victims from uh, being able to hold to account those who were responsible for their abuse, which is a really, really critical part of being able to move past those experiences and move fully towards healing. I just, I just think it's staggering at mm. this stage that that's, that's necessary. Yeah. And it's this idea that people listening to the programme uh, yesterday or indeed over recent months will know that uh, the order has uh, this strategy in place which is perfectly legal but forces victims uh, uh, and people who have been established to be victims who were abused by Christian brothers who have been convicted of that heinous crime uh, abusing little children sexually uh, but that they can't claim redress uh, because they've to uh, sue uh, effectively 115 people who have nothing to do with what happened to them. Yeah, I mean, essentially, I mean, I remember somebody saying to me a very, very long time ago, the Catholic Church structures itself in a way that's outside of uh, um, any mechanism through which it could be held accountable, that basically it can, you know, repackage itself and and reorientate itself uh, legally to avoid any possibility of being held accountable in civil courts, right, in, in, mm. in civil and criminal courts in individual jurisdictions. And we've seen that, you know, in, in my case, uh, the Pope and the Ben Luncio claim diplomatic and sovereign immunity. In many other cases, we've seen it in Australia where the Archdiocese of Sydney said, we don't actually exist and we're not a legal entity, we can't be sued. That's exactly the strategy that's been adopted by the Christian Brothers here. Mm. They are, as a matter of law, an unincorporated association. The, there's no legal entity uh, um, that is the Christian Brothers, which will be a huge surprise to many people in this country uh, um, who grew up uh, where the Christian Brothers were a very powerful institution and wielded extraordinary influence and power uh, um, for, for very many years. They, they, in fact, as a matter of law, don't exist as a legal person, so they can't be sued. So would now, you, would so you believe was, that this strategy uh, is intentional uh, in that the hope is that the victims will give up because it's so complicated and will take so long and that the Christian Brothers actually have no interest whatsoever in the victims and their only interest by adopting this strategy is their bank balance. Well, if the Christian brothers had any interest in in simple Christian values like justice and love and compassion and and accountability and truth, and then they wouldn't be adopting this legal strategy. And they'd be opening themselves up to honest, open engagement with those that they had failed and seeking to not just be held account, but offering themselves. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. To be accountable and to act on the basis of their responsibility, rather than using this legal mechanism to avoid it. And I've no doubt about the fact that this is absolutely about harassing and nuisancing efforts by victims to achieve a proper and appropriate level of accountability. And the thing that I'd say to, 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 to any counsellor in, in, in Louth is listening to this who thinks, well, this isn't anything to do with us. Uh, every elected official in this country is an, is, is an agent of the state, right? Um, and as agents of the state, they have particular obligations and responsibilities under international law. The state has an obligation to guarantee justice or truth and reparations for victims of serious human rights violations. What are, what are the kind of remedies that are necessary? Well, truth, justice and reparation are the critical ones. And every agent of the state should be doing everything that it can to ensure that victims have access to that. Right now, the brothers are adopting a strategy that, you know, it, it's not as if they simply said, well, as a matter of law, you can't sue us you have to sue the named members of the congregation who were me- the membership of the unincorporated association that was the Christian Brothers at the time that you suffered this abuse. They've been exceptionally obstructive in providing that information to allow that to happen. So we've had at least two hearings that I'm aware of before the High Court where the High Court has had to instruct the congregation to hand over the names of the members of the congregation so they can be served with papers. And I have to say, by the way, this... Just a, a further point here as well. Um, not only are the Christian brothers um, failing to respect the simple humanity and dignity of victims of abuse, you know, we hear an awful lot about the impact of these scandals and these revelations on people who are blameless for them. I can't imagine what it must be like to be an elderly Christian brother and suddenly to find, because of a decision by your leadership, that you're the subject of a civil action related to the rape and sexual abuse of children where you could be personally in some way held accountable um, for that. Mm. The lack of regard for their own members is extraordinary. Mm. And then the lack of regard for people of faith. Well, we don't talk about this enough in this country. But for people of deep and profound faith, this has been an, a hugely difficult and frankly traumatic time for them. Where is regard for, for the faith and for people of faith? Where is regard for the values upon which their institution was meant to be founded? Where are regards for the principles of Edmund Ignatius Rice, who, you know, one of the great tragedies of this congregation is here was this visionary man who believed, who was steadfastly, for instance, um, opposed to any measure of corporal punishment and believed that children should be treated properly. This institution, the Christian Brothers, obviously failed to respect those and many, many other values. And I think now it's incredibly important um, that where people have influence, that they use that influence to stand in solidarity with victims of abuse, to condemn the actions of the congregation right now and to do whatever they can to encourage or, or, or pressure them and, frankly, 
very often it's only societal pressure that has forced uh, religious leaders uh, uh, to change tack, to try to force them to discharge their responsibilities, to act with, an, with some element of humanity and compassion and, frankly, some element of Christianity um, and provide access to truth, access to justice and ultimately access to healing for people who were so horribly violated by members of the congregation and failed by the then leadership of that congregation. And this is a strategy that the Christian Brothers is choosing to adopt. It is not necessary. It can act as people might expect them to and engage with the process and to help people to heal. But what they are doing is delaying people from getting justice. And in fact, that may never happen at all because it's so complicated you couldn't blame anybody in their right mind for giving up somewhere along the line. But justice delayed is justice denied. If the victims are denied justice, what does that do to them? Well, I mean, first of all, dragging people through this process continues to abuse and traumatise them. So it's not simply about if they are denied justice. The longer that they're left in a position where they're having to fight like this, where they're being put in this position, that, it's, that in and of itself, in my view, causes further trauma and harm and is abusive in and of itself. Um, if justice is denied, then they never achieve it. You know, they go to their graves without ever having had a proper acknowledgement, without ever being able to put this down. I can remember, Michael, uh, really clearly, the day after my own case was resolved finally in the High Court, um, where the Diocese of Ferns made a full and frank acknowledgement of negligence. I can remember going down to a beach near where I live and and sitting there and looking out at the sea, and I hadn't felt, felt a sense of space, inner space and peace, uh, um, uh, and and just calm uh, in decades. Uh, um, it was an extraordinary moment to finally be free and to say, I can put this down now because they, the people who are responsible, have taken responsibility, and now I can focus on what I need for myself. It's an exceptionally mm. powerful moment, and right now it's being denied uh, to people who were raped and abused as children by members of that congregation. And, and they believe failed by the leadership of that congregation. And all of this could end tomorrow if the current uh, provincial of the congregation were to simply say, I will accept service of these papers and I nominate myself as a representative of the congregation uh, um, to engage with this legal process. Okay. They can do it tomorrow. Right. Then they can go into the court uh, um, and, and argue their case. They can present their defence. Mm. They can allow the court to adjudicate. Let's talk about the former. Let's talk about the former provincial leader, Brother Edmund Garvey, uh, who was uh, born in Drada and given uh, the freedom of uh, the city honour in Drada. Uh, and uh, there is resistance to rescinding that. Uh, we heard terrible stories on the programme just yesterday about men in their 50s uh, who suffered terrible abuse 50 years ago as six, seven, eight-year-olds. Uh, we were also talking about Kenneth Grace, uh, who was taken to a, a dungeon uh, and whipped by Patrick Hendrick, uh, another Christian brother, uh, wearing a leather tongue and whipping him with a cat of nine tails. Unbelievable stuff for such little children. Uh, but these people have been convicted. These brothers have been convicted and in a criminal sense, I suppose, justice has been done. They're in prison. Uh, but this legal strategy that the Christian Brothers has a- adopted prevents uh, redress. Uh, that was instigated by Brother Edmund Garvey, this 
Freeman of Drogheda. Uh, the councillors in Drogheda were asked to rescind that and they said no. Uh, and that's uh, the situation thus far. It now goes to a bigger meeting of all of the councillors in the county who are going to be asked to ask the councillors in Drogheda to rethink that. What would you say to the councillors in Drogheda who have already said no? You know, um, it is staggering to me that uh, anybody would refuse to stand in solidarity with victims of the kind of abuse that you've just described. And to be clear, when somebody is held accountable in the criminal courts, the state is holding them to account. The state has prosecuted that person. The facts of those cases are now legal fact. Those violations, that abuse has been established as a matter of law. But the criminal uh, um, process will only hold to account individual perpetrators. It will never hold to account those who, through acts of negligence, and very often calculated, willful, deliberate negligence, allowed that abuse to happen, who facilitated it, who covered it up, who permitted it, knowingly permitted abusers to remain in positions where they would continue to abuse time and time and time and time again. And, and it's, it's, that, it's that accountability that victims are looking for when they take civil action. Yes, the outcome of the civil, civil action is ultimately is a payment of compensation. That's the, the transactionary part of it. But actually, the most important part is that th- th- those who are responsible for allowing those violations to happen, for covering them up, for facilitating them, they are forced to take responsibility for that through that process. That's what we mean by reparation. Reparation is not just about compensation. It's about truth. It's about an acknowledgement of responsibility. It's about taking, taking the load of that finally from the victim and accepting um, that those responsible have to carry it. It's incredibly mm. important. Okay, uh, we're speaking councillors, to um, councillors. might believe, for example, that that this is not this is a gesture. Well, if victims are telling you, councillors, that this is important for them, that they now need you as their elected representatives, as as leaders of communities, to stand with them and to condemn this strategy that's been adopted by the Christian Brothers, initiated by Edmund Garvey, and that a meaningful way that you could do that is to remove the freedom of the city of Drogheda from him. You need to listen to that. And you need to think about who you stand with. Are you going to stand with the victims of, of rape and abuse by Christian brothers? Or are you going to stand with an individual who adopted a legal strategy that seems clearly designed to nuisance their efforts to get to truth, justice, reparations and ultimately hearing? That's the question mm. that they need. I think it's very hard to understand the position that the councillors in Drogheda in particular have uh, taken and we'll find out on Monday what position uh, the councillors uh, in Loud outside of uh, Drogheda Uh, feel about this Uh, but we do know from victims who've been speaking to us that they feel that they've been shunned by the councillors in Drogheda they say this is a slap in the face to them Uh, and indeed many of them feel that it's a further uh, abuse of them I was speaking to Damien O'Farrell on the programme yesterday who represents many of the victims and I was trying to work out why would councillors in Drogheda shun victims of child sexual abuse Uh, and Damien wasn't sure, but he did wonder if perhaps it's because it's a local man uh, and it would embarrass the town. It might embarrass 
the council. Uh, it's an elderly man uh, who wasn't involved in the abuse. And uh, is it fair to do that uh, on somebody in uh, their older years or what way people feel about it? Maybe it's uh, perceived as though it's anti-Catholic or something. Uh, and maybe the councillors have religious beliefs. Uh, but it's really very, very hard to understand why councillors are being told by victims of child sexual abuse you're abusing us further and they're ignoring that statement. Yeah, to be really clear, the, 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 the people who are responsible for perpetrating those acts of rape and abuse and of the kind of torture and that would amount to torture as a matter of law uh, on children are the individual perpetrators. Evan Garvey's not, not personally responsible for that. Um, the congregation and its leadership who permitted, facilitated, colluded with, allowed and covered up those acts of abuse. Uh, and that happened in a great many cases. It's, it's, it, it, it needs to be proven whether it happened in these specific cases and what that, that's what these legal processes are about. But we know in many other cases that that actually happened, absolutely happened. They are responsible for that. What Evan Garvey is uniquely responsible for, the decisions that he made as provincial of the Christian Brothers to adopt this legal strategy and to deny victims of abuse access to justice, access to truth, and access to healing. I, um, I think that's anti-Catholic, because I think it's profoundly anti-Christian um, to behave in that way. Um, it, it's an odd position to be in, uh, um, to, to, to be suggesting that the head of a religious order is acting in an anti-Catholic way, but I think it's an important statement to make. That's something that, that gets thrown about an awful lot um, at, at people like Damien or people like me or, or, or others who seek to hold the... the the leaders of the institutions of the church to account that somehow we're being anti-Catholic. You know, mm. the reality, I, 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 I learned uh, as a very young child that the values of the Christian faith and of the Catholic faith were grounded in principles like truth and justice and compassion and love. Um, and that if you did something wrong, it was incredibly important that you be open to fully understanding and acknowledging that and making proper restitution for it which includes an acknowledgement of the wrong cause to other people, owning that mm. and doing whatever you can to remedy it. Those are Catholic principles. To deny that, it seems to me, is profoundly anti-Catholic. And also, I think it's deeply, deeply disrespectful um, of those working within that institution. And there are many, and I know them, and mm. they are profoundly good and decent and compassionate people who are trying to move through and beyond uh, um, all, of, all of this awful, awful history. And when I say through and beyond, I don't mean getting past it as if it didn't happen. I mean working through it, understanding the consequences of it for the individuals, for the communities, including for people of faith, and finding a way to move forward together. There are lots of people within church who are trying to do that. And, and the things that Edmund Garvey is, is, is doing is deeply disrespectful of those efforts too. Okay. So, you know, the, 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 the councillors need to decide who they stand with and for and what they're prepared to defend. Yeah. Are they prepared to defend and stand in solidarity with um, those who are seeking truth, justice, and uh, reparation? Or are they going to stand in solidarity with an individual who directed a policy that was engineered to deny that to victims of abuse? Uh, and let's not forget, they're choosing to go this route. It's an option that they've taken. It is legally permissible, but many would say it's morally reprehensible. The former Chief Justice Frank Clark has condemned the Christian Brothers for choosing this option. The Law Reform Commission says the law should be changed so that that option 
is removed and nobody should be allowed to treat victims of child sexual abuse the way that the brothers are now. It's over to the councillors on Monday. And Colm, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thanks, Michael. Colm O'Gorman, human rights activist. Michael Reed on LMFM. I got a long text uh, from Jackie who says uh, she's a survivor of uh, child sexual abuse yesterday and I said I'd read it uh, today. Uh, She says, with regard to child sexual abuse survivors or as I choose to call them, beacons of light. Louth County Councillors on the 17th of July, which is Monday, have a great opportunity to make Louth the flagship county that sends a clear message to everyone in Ireland that it will not tolerate either Christian brothers uh, or child sexual abusers or any persons regardless of the positions that they hold. Facilitate, obstruct or delay justice for child sexual abuse survivors. Louth County Councillors can do this on Monday by accepting Councillor Maeve Yor's motion and rescind the honour of the freedom of Drogheda from the Christian brother Edmund Garvey in light of him presiding over the introduction of the order litigation strategy in respect of uh, the victims, litigants of child sexual abuse. The strategy and his involvement in its introduction has been exposed by RTE's prime time. Uh, as a legal strategy, it is as far from victim focused as possible and has been described by child victims of sexual abuse as a further double abuse as it obstructs and denies justice. Once again, it is time for the councillors and the people of Drada and child sexual abuse survivors to come together because when it comes to child sexual abusers and individuals who attempt to obstruct justice for survivors, I believe that there are several core values that many people or the majority of us have in common, which is compassion and empathy. People generally agree that survivors of child sexual abuse deserve empathy and support, protection and safety. There is a shared commitment to protecting children from harm and creating safe potential perpetrators. Um, justice and accountability. The importance and value of justice holds that those who commit child sexual abuse or any person who attempts to delay justice of individuals who have been abused as a child should be held accountable for those actions as well. Education and awareness, recognising the importance of prevention. There's a shared value in educating communities about child sexual abuse, its signs and the necessary actions to prevent it. Collaboration and support addressing combating child sexual abuse requires collective action. Our shared values serve as the foundation for collective efforts to combat child sexual abuse, support survivors and ensure that justice is served by upholding these values and raising awareness we can work together to create a society that protects its most vulnerable members and fosters an environment where survivors are supported and their rights are respected. Drogheda is a beautiful historical town, my hometown, and anyone who is lucky enough to have been given such an honour as the freedom of Drogheda, then their integrity should be beyond reproach. I want uh, to thank Damien for the work that he has done, which is just brilliant. As I say, that's uh, from Jackie, who sent that into us yesterday, a survivor of child sexual abuse. And I did say to Jackie, 
Jackie that I, I would read out the text today. Many thanks to you, Jackie, for sending that to us uh, as well. Uh, we had a WhatsApp message from Tom who says, how many of the local councillors have you contacted to speak on your show about Brother Edmund Garvey? And if you have contacted them, who refused to speak on your show? Um, we won't go there just yet, Tom. Uh, maybe uh, we'll return to that, maybe. Um, but what uh, I suppose is uh, the issue today is for the councillors to reflect on uh, whether they want to support the victims or not. Uh, and that is the message from the victims. That was the message that we heard this morning from Colm O'Gorman, who I think is uh, the single most important voice in this country uh, on child sexual abuse, uh, the, the the single most authoritative voice on child sexual abuse and how uh, it should be dealt with. And I think there was a very strong message for councillors in County Louth this morning to heed or not, if that is how they heard it. Um, but we'll return uh, once again, I think, uh, to uh, the hearings in the Oireachtas yesterday uh, and indeed the RTE saga. We'll take up uh, on uh, some of the interaction that Melda Munster had with Adrian Lynch. So you told us that the executive board knew nothing about the underwriting and that you knew nothing about the underwriting. So you misled this committee? Uh, I didn't. I was deputy with respect, completely truthful in everything I said. I was referring specifically to May the 7th, 2020, which is the verbal agreement between D. Forbes and Noel Kelly to underwrite... No, sorry, which, no, which that's, is, no, that's just... That's too much of a comfort blanket for you to cling to. You knew exactly... You knew exactly about the deal that was done to underwrite the underwrite Renault deal and the payments involved... The, the tripartite agreement was not just about the, the Renault deal in year one, it was about the three top-up payments. And you distinctly told our committee that I've asked each individual executive board member to give me a guarantee that they knew nothing about the underwriting which was given to me. That is correct. And again, uh, Deputy Munster, I would say I was referring to May the 7th, 2020. In terms of the three payments, let's remember, in terms of the substantial issue here, his payments were made directly to Ryan Turbody and they were not declared by RTE. But in that we, email, sorry, 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 in that me, email, sorry, no, 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 I, I, just, don't, I don't actually give any, your answers any credence, to be honest. We'll no, I just want to clarify Monster. something. Yeah, you clarify that. Yeah. Just go back On then. the 20th of February, right, in the correspondence, we made good progress on what the commercial agreement would be and we agree to one in Dublin, one in Dublin, and with a side letter, our letter to underwrite this fee for the duration of the contract. That contract was covering the three payments of 75. Back to Mr so, Lynch. Uh, yeah, I think the question is, Deputy Munster, was that, was that reference to covering the three payments, which would imply it's one year, or as per Mr Kelly's note, and we have to note the fact that Mr Kelly was looking for the underwriting, is it actually referring to the five years? In terms of the letter that was supplied by Mr. Kelly, it does refer to the five years. And that would not be signed. He would not sign the other elements of this agreement until he had that side letter. And there was deep unease about the fact that we hadn't seen what is the commercial arrangement. Whether it was what signed will, or not, sorry, yes. whether it was signed or not, you went ahead and paid those three payments. Correct, and yes. RTE so paid them. Signed, 
whether it was signed or not is totally irrelevant. You agreed, as in the copy of this correspondence, you agreed, it was agreed to underwrite the, the contract in its entirety. All three payments. I, I have to clarify us, that, Deputy Minister. You told us that I've also asked each individual executive board member to give me a guarantee that they knew nothing about the underwriting, right. which they did. But they did know. And you had to know. And you I came in here, know. and Mr. Barkhurst, with Sorry, all due respect to yourself, Deputy just Munster, two can minutes I have ago, an you opportunity, said you have confidence. Can I have no, an opportunity to reply? Back in for a moment. Thank you. So, I stand over exactly what I said. I was referring specifically... You've misled the committee. I you did not. Uh, look at... No wonder the yeah, frustration sorry, here. Sorry, could I just... my colleagues can have an opportunity to respond. There's a very serious just allegation. Just more waffle, that's all sorry. it is. No, it's not. It's just a response to your question. No, that's the new DG, Kevin Backhurst, interjecting in that exchange uh, between uh, Melda Munster and Adrian Lynch. Melda Munster was like a, a dog with a bone and she just wouldn't accept that the committee had not been misled. We might come back to that in a moment. But some more comments now. Margaret and Touch saying, if we could collect all of the books that have been passed around over the years as a result of all of the scandals in this country, we would have more than enough to solve all of our problems. But the only place the book ever stops is at the taxpayer's door. I'm fed up with governments constantly giving lip service when these things happen, but fail to prevent it happening again and again. It's gone on for years and years and the result is always the same. Screw the taxpayer to get out of the messes made by the well-paid incompetence. The Children's Hospital is a prime example of how not to do business. Oh, wasn't a share in the national lottery sold years ago to a Canadian pension company to cover the cost of the hospital. What was got for it, the lottery? With what the hospital is costing, probably paid for very little. Was there no deal done beforehand with costing start and finish dates agreed or is that too much to expect from the people who are in charge? Thanks, Margaret, for your message. John, thank you for your message too. He says, it's so easy to spend other people's money as in many other organisations. Thank you indeed uh, for that, John. A Navin listener says, Michael, when are the people of Ireland going to stop funding these so-called religious orders? I'll come back to uh, that comment in a moment, but I think we'll return to the um, Public Accounts Committee hearing yesterday. And we broke off there uh, when Imelda Munster uh, wasn't letting it go. She was saying the committee had been misled. It was at that stage that the chairperson of uh, the committee, Brian Stanley, interjected. Sorry, folks, just hold everything for a second. No, try and answer concisely. I will. But I also want you to give them the opportunity to answer. Mm-hmm. Yes. But try and keep the answer. So just continue for a moment. Yeah. There are three simple things here. One is I was referring specifically to what underpins this entire agreement, which is the agreement on May the 7th, 2020. Two... RT made three payments to Ryan Tuberty, which was absolutely incorrect. Those payments should have been declared. One was the credit note and two came from a barter account. RTE should have declared those payments. So okay. I've been you, completely that's not, that's consistent not the point. in that. That's not the point. You knew about the three payments. You knew that the agreement was underwritten by RTE. You told us that you spoke to your senior executives, you asked them to give you a guarantee that they didn't did. know about it, you accepted that, so you knew about I it, did. your senior executives knew about it, and you misled this committee. I asked each of the senior executives 
Did they know that this deal was underwritten by a verbal agreement between Noel Kelly and D. Forbes? You knew and you misled this committee. I did not mislead, did this, mislead committee. this committee. I did not mislead this committee. Well, it's the opinion of the majority of members and we've sat through it all. Um, Mr. Barkos, you just said a few minutes ago that you have confidence in your Assistant Director General. I, mean, I don't think the committee have made a decision on any issue because we shouldn't do that before proceedings. So I just think but, that... Yeah, but just to... Just from think we what you've given us, yeah. we've had to extract just information. And this actually shows that you have actually knew about it. <coughs> the senior executives knew about it because of the, the email sent on the 20th of February. And you told this committee last week that you didn't, and your senior executives didn't. In the statement we released, it was quite obvious that negotiations were ongoing, things were going in and out of this deal. This deal was uh, contractually underwritten on May the 7th, 2020, and that is the clarification that I sought from each member of the executive board. In relation to the payments, three payments were made to Ryan Tuberty, one based on a credit note and two from the barter account. When these payments were made, because they were, it was a legal obligation on RT to make the payments, we should have declared them. And we have put our hands up in terms of that, how we've compiled the figures and published the figures. RTE published inaccurate information about its top earner. And we were given inaccurate information in relation to who knew and who didn't know. And that's that's clear as mud. Um, Mr. Backhurst, you had said there a few minutes ago that you have confidence. I'm sure you're not going to retract that instantly, but what I'm talking about is instilling confidence in the public. And from a lot of what we've witnessed over the last, last number of weeks, personally, I wouldn't be very confident moving forward unless there's serious changes because transparency and our accountability is what the public want. And for even from this conversation here now, I um, do not see that I, we've got accountability. I have just showed emails, repeated what was said at the last meeting, and the response is as weak as be damned. That's Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead and Melda Monster. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, this may come as a a surprise to you. Chances are, though, it'll probably only confirm what you already think is uh, the situation. And that is that 75% of older people in this country have been impacted or severely impacted by the cost of living crisis. 55% of older people find it difficult to pay their bills. Heating and the cost of energy are of particular concern. That's followed by household maintenance, food prices, healthcare and transport. This is according to a survey that the charity alone has published in line with its pre-budget submission. We're joined by Grania Loughran, Senior Policy and Advocacy Officer with Alone. Good morning to you, Grania, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. You also asked people what could be done to help them with the situation that they find themselves in. What did people say to you? Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having us on. Uh, so, yes, the survey shows that older people are struggling considerably with the cost of living crisis and the recent increase in inflation. Uh, what older people are telling us is that an increase to the state pension, an increase to the fuel allowance and an increase in the living alone allowance are the changes that would support them the most um, in this year's budget. What we're seeing is really that older people are struggling with um 
the increases we've all seen for months on end, but we know that older people are particularly impacted by those increases in costs of energy and groceries. Um, older people are quite heavily reliant on their heating. Um, they will often reduce their spending on food and groceries in order to pay the heating bills. Mm. Um, and the survey really showed that the, some of that real hardship that some of the older people we're working with are experiencing. And we have hard data today to back that up from uh, the CRU, which says that there's 240,000 households who are in arrears with their energy bills. Does that come as any surprise to you? Not at all, to be honest. Um, we're seeing the energy crisis, and we've been working with the Department of the Environment um, since last September to try to support older people who are really feeling the energy poverty and those energy costs the most. Um, and we've seen that older people are, when you're reliant on the state pension, the fuel allowance and those costs, that those pieces of income that haven't really gone up a whole pile in recent years, the increase in energy bills is simply too much to take. Um, the fuel allowance, for example, uh, didn't increase last year. And while the energy credits and the one-off payments were really welcome and really supported older people um, to date, at the moment we're sort of back at square one because the costs aren't coming down. And um, we're looking for increases in those standard payments to support older people going forward. Okay, you've given the government a a list of suggestions, a a wish list, if you like, ahead of the budget. Uh, Far too long to go through uh, uh, completely in a a radio interview. I think we'd be here for a very long time, and I guess that's because of uh, the scale of uh, the problems uh, that people are are facing. Uh, But Let's uh, maybe talk a a little bit about some of uh, the changes uh, that you've asked the government to look at and the state pension uh, to begin with, uh, because you're suggesting that they calculate what should be paid in in the state pension differently, that it should be benchmarked. Yes. So, And this isn't a suggestion just from alone. This is something that has come from the Pensions Commission. And we're actually the only... um, one of two countries in the OECD uh, that don't have a benchmarked pension. So this is for the pension to be calculated to 34% of average wages, which isn't, I suppose, uh, a, a hugely generous amount either when you think about it in terms of a third of average wages. Mm. Um, so that is something that was committed to by government in the Roadmap for Social Inclusion, uh, and it was committed to for many years previous to that, we still haven't seen it being implemented. What we'd ask is that um, what what would be required would be an increase of more than €40 Euro, um, to the pension to, to get it to that benchmark. We don't expect or anticipate government to implement that this year. Um, but €27.50 Euro 50 is the minimum that is needed to support older people through the worst impact of inflation. And we heard That's exactly that figure from Vincent de Paul, which uh, I thought was staggering because I don't think there's ever been an increase in welfare rates uh, to that extent 27.50 but that's what you're saying in alone as well so uh, again that highlights uh, how difficult people are are finding it and uh, that's supported by the survey 
Absolutely. And I think the survey, um, we have the stats from the survey, but those individual stories, those um, we had free text space and older people talked about having spent their life insurance in order to pay bills in their home and things like not being able to afford um, meat um, not being able to afford to eat more than once a day um, in some cases. Um, some people worried if they'd have enough money to see them through the rest of their lives. Mm. So this is something that, you know, the figures will go so far and they're really important. Uh, but those individual stories are the things that really highlight the difficulties and the challenges that older people are experiencing. All right. Uh, and you're saying increase the fuel allowance by €35, Euro, the telephone support allowance from 250 to €10, Euro, the living alone allowance from 22 to €32 Euro a week. Uh, and uh, if that was uh, to be realised, uh, that would put money back in people's pockets that they need because they're finding it so hard as you've explained to us but you're not just talking about I- increasing uh, uh, money I- people's income uh, you've a-, a lot of suggestions uh, for the government in how life can be made better for older people in this country yes so as we all know um, Ireland has an aging population uh, we know one million people um, aged 60 plus in the country and our population is getting older every year um, we know that older people today are experiencing huge difficulties in terms of housing, in terms of health care, in terms of transport. And we see that this problem is only going to get bigger and bigger as our population grows older. So there are things like housing adaptation grants. And we know in Louds, um the scheme has actually closed um, in recent months because of the funding shortfall. Those housing adaptation grants support older people to age at home, to adapt their home, to make it safe and secure for them to live in. And in counties like Loud, um, the the scheme isn't funded sufficiently. Um, So we need significant increase in funding um, for the housing adaptation grants. We're also seeing things like... um, older people not being able to access social housing. So we know we're renting, for example, for longer in life. And older people experience a lot of volatility in the rental sector. Uh, We need to see a significant increase in the number of new bills for social housing developed age-friendly and universal design standards so that older people can be supported if they do need to move into social housing um, during the course of their lives. Um, there's a range of uh, recommendations across health in terms of funding for the action plan to combat loneliness. Again, this is something that was committed to by government mm. across the roadmap for social inclusion, Healthy Ireland strategic plan, programme for government. Several years on, we still haven't seen action there. And similar for the Commission for Care um, across energy um, and energy poverty, mm-hmm. we need to see the delivery of the €10 million Euro fund to support people experiencing energy poverty. Okay, and I think there's a, a lot of people listening to you this morning, Grania, who can identify with what you said about the housing adaptation grants in Louth. Uh, they're not available because uh, they've spent everything that was available and it's been raised many times in the doll for that matter. Yeah. I've, ru- I've run out of time at this stage, Grania, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, much appreciate that. That's uh, Grania Lockrance Senior Policy and Advocacy Officer with uh, Alone. I promised I'd come back uh, 
to the comment from the Navin listener who said, when are the people of Ireland going to stop funding these so-called religious orders when there are people suffering as a result of physical and sexual abuse afflicted on them by priests, brothers and nuns? To make it worse, they show no remorse for their actions. The so-called good members stayed silent. Stop giving them money, says the Navin listener. Uh, We'd uh, another text from somebody listening to the interview with Colm O'Gorman saying, totally agree with Colm. People should call out the behaviour of the Christian brothers for their justice-delaying tactics and also where our our Catholic priests, why don't they condemn the Christian brothers for their behaviour? James in Drogheda says, Billy Connolly had it right in the movie, The Man Who Served God. You should lodge the case against God because of his representative's behaviour. If they refuse to produce God in court, then they've been committing a fraud. I've a nose uh, believe in sombre and gathering money and having people donating their property and their wills all these years, then they should be sued and uh, jailed uh, for fraudulent actions. Uh, thanks, uh, James, for that. Somebody else says um, the person who said uh, that we should stop funding money uh, from all religious orders. I just want to say that these orders educated and nursed generations of people in the past. Ireland has turned its back on this fact and they're funding all sorts of immorality. I suppose uh, the very people the orders educated and nursed have turned on them but uh, they wouldn't be on their high horses today if it wasn't for the education they received. Uh, I totally dislike this new Ireland. It's pagan. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing your thoughts with us today. That's our programme for this week. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.